in part three of our series on the book of Acts, which I call the book of action. And uh, we covered in the first uh, part, we talked about salvation and what does it really mean to be saved. You see this word float around in the book of Acts and what does that really mean? And then we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which we also see weave its way through the book of Acts. We talked about that experience and what it is. Uh, The salvation message we've got online, the baptism in the Holy Spirit didn't work, but this one is going to work because I have my trusty back up here, so I guarantee it will work. And so we're going to talk today about a question that is on the minds of most church people, Uh, even non-church people, uh, especially when they begin to get exposed to the Bible and they read a book like the book of Acts. And the question that comes up, if you read Acts cover to cover, which is only, it's about 28 chapters, it reads like an action movie almost. I mean, it's just story after story after story of what's happening in people's lives in this new church. And you ask the question after you read it, uh, okay, where are, where are the miracles today? Because we read in the book of Acts many, many instances of, I'll use the term, miracles or the supernatural happening. And we see many, many instances of it in the book of Acts. And then we look at our own personal lives, especially here in North America and the Western world. And we wonder, uh, why the disparity? Uh, the apparent disparity anyway. Uh, You know, is there something wrong with me? Maybe I don't have enough faith. And this is why I'm not seeing these things. Maybe there's something wrong with God and God doesn't do that anymore or something. He's lost his power or something. Or maybe it's the way that I'm interpreting the Bible. Maybe those miracles, I'm reading them wrong. But there seems to be this disparity uh, that goes on. Or so we think. And then what happens is we hear about the the miraculous uh, happening in some other place, some other church, some other city, and we think that they've got the miracle mojo over there. And so we run over there and we see if it's real. And we see if they if they got the stuff, you know, or if it's on television, we turn on the television, we see, is it real? Is the miracle mojo over there? Because we apparently don't see it too many times. And there's a lot of a lot of confusion in the minds of people when they approach this subject. And to be sure, there are a lot of representations in the media. You can turn on, you know, some Christian channel and see all kinds of strange and wacky stuff when it comes to <laughs> to supposed miracles going on. So I want to give you some clarity from the scripture about this subject of the miraculous today. Uh, mostly from the book of Acts, okay? Number one, number one, miracles, real miracles, they are empirically undeniable. Real miracles. So when a miracle happens in the Bible, you don't have a group of people saying, well, we're not so convinced. I mean, uh, is it a true miracle? Is it not... You know, we're not so sure. Maybe that happened because the person just kind of got better on their own, or maybe the situation has another explanation. But we're not so convinced that it's a true miracle. You never see this in the Scripture, ironically. You you see it in life today, but you never see it in the Scripture. Uh, I've counted just in the book of Acts every single incident of the supernatural. When I say the supernatural, I mean something that happens that is above the standard operation of nature. So it's above that. You know, what you see on the screen is not a miracle. It's kind of a poor representation, but I like the image. That's not a miracle. Okay, a plant growing is natural. It's the way that God's designed it, but that is not supernatural. Um, Even childbirth, and I've used the word miracle to describe childbirth. Childbirth, in a normal sense, is not miraculous. It's the way God has set things up. It's amazing design, incredible design. But it isn't a miracle. It isn't supernatural. Supernatural is when it rises above what's expected by the natural order of things. It's totally above it. It overrides it. It's on a totally different plane. So, you know, you you see this type of thing in the scripture in many, many different ways. That's what I mean when when I say a miracle. And I've counted in the book of Acts, and I stopped at 44. 
when I, I went from cover to cover in the book of Acts one time and I counted every single one. And some, some of these miracles, you know, it just says the apostles did signs and wonders amongst the people. Well, I count that as one because <laughs> it just mentions that. All right. So you have you have an awful lot of this that's happening um, in the book of Acts alone. But miracles, they are empirically undeniable. So I've been, to, I've been to all kinds of church meetings where supposedly there's miracles that are going on. And what I observe is that half of the crowd is not convinced. You know, so you, know, you bring the person up on the stage usually and you pray for the person or someone prays for the person and everybody says that the person is healed. But they look the same. <laughs> they still walk with a limp, if you know what I'm saying. You bring the dude up on a wheelchair and you say he's healed and the, the, the guy kind of hobbling back and jumping back in his chair. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's not what we see in the New Testament, if I may be frank. In the whole Bible, when it's a miracle, everybody knows that it is. It's an empirically undeniable thing. So it's not, you know, so-and-so was healed of a headache and half the audience is saying, yeah, well, maybe he just took some Tylenol, if you know what I'm saying. So they're em empirically, they're undeniable, these things. Let me give you an example from Acts uh, chapter 3. Here you have uh, the first instance of an individual recorded by name, or well, not even by name, just a specific person. Uh, it's not a group where things happen, but this is a specific person, a specific life, where there is a healing that happens in this guy's life. It's in Acts chapter 3. This is a man who is disabled, cannot walk, and he's born that way. All right, And he is put in front of the entrance of the temple in Jerusalem to, in a sense, beg for money. Uh, we find out later this man is in his 40s. He's been that way all of his life. He cannot walk, and so they try and use him to get a little bit of money. And Peter and John, this is the beginning of the book of Acts, they see this man, they're going to the temple to pray, and they see the man, and the man, of course, does what he knows what to do, and he asks them for money. And Peter, it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 4, Peter looks straight at him, as did John, and Peter says, look at us. And so the man gave him his attention, expecting he'd get some money. And Peter says, famous words, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he takes him by the right hand, helps him up, and instantly it says the man's feet and his ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet, a man who'd never walked in his life jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This guy who was out in front, a crippled, lame man, born that way, is now running around and jumping in the courts of the temple. Oh boy, strange sight. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same guy who used to sit begging at the temple gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They're not saying, well, we're not so sure, you know, we're not so sure if this is a miracle or not. I mean, no, th this is an undeniable thing. It's empirically undeniable. And this is what we see in the Bible. There's no sleight of hand. Um, it is a genuinely supernatural thing that has happened. Number two, miracles are done in the presence of friends and enemies in the Bible. We often relegate miracles and the supernatural today to church services and prayer meetings. And it's not like they don't happen there. But in the book of Acts and in the entire Bible, they're all over the place. They're often done in public. They're often done in hostile conditions uh, that are not necessarily Christian at all. This one in Acts chapter 3 is out in public. It's in the temple courts. Everybody knows the guy. He's the beggar guy at the front of the gate. And Peter gets up and starts to explain what happened to this man because everyone is shocked when they see what happens. Clearly something miraculous has happened. And what Peter does is he starts to explain who's responsible for this healing. And he puts the onus not on himself, Peter, or not on John. He puts it on Jesus himself. And he starts preaching publicly about Jesus and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And that's when Peter and John get in some hot water. 
the temple guard comes uh, and they, they arrest uh, Peter and John. The temple guard is run by the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees have a big issue with the supernatural, with the angelic, with the resurrection. We know this about them. And they, they run that show that's happening in the temple courts. And they have Peter and John arrested. And they are going to be interrogated uh, ultimately by the Sanhedrin, the same body of people that brought Jesus to trial. And Peter and John are in quite a lot of trouble. The next day they're interrogated and they're, and they're questioned in Acts chapter 4 and verse 7. By what power or name did you do this? How did you do this? By what power or name? Again, there's no denial that the miracle happened. By what power or name did you do this? And then the Peter says, well, it's by the name of Jesus that I did it. And they ordered them, you cannot talk about this Jesus. We don't want to hear about him. We don't want to hear about his resurrection. And Peter and John say, well, too bad. You decide before God whether we should obey you or whether we should obey God. We can't even help but talk about what who Jesus is. And so they defied the Sanhedrin. They defied the ruling council and said, no, we will continue to talk about this because we can't help but talk about this. Remember, we talked about how the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to give people power to be witnesses. This is exactly what's happening here. These people, Peter and John, had tremendous courage uh, in the face of this opposition. But do you see the miraculous is done in the presence of friends and also of enemies in hostile conditions, in friendly conditions. It's not isolated in some little bubble. And this is the nature of what God wants to do. Number three, miracles are subject to natural methods of verification. All right, uh, so there's a real problem that we have gotten ourselves into, those of us who believe that God can do these kinds of things today. Uh, we sometimes think that a doctor is bad for our faith. We think that we think that going to a doctor, we think that learning about uh, you know why we may be sick and have the problems that we do is somehow bad for our faith, and the two are opposed to, to one another. Uh, the question is, where do we see that in the Bible? Where do we see this opposition to medical knowledge or to understanding how our bodies work or anything? Where do we see that in the Bible? And the answer is, nowhere. Uh, and we, we have this kind of tradition that we've invented, particularly those of us who call ourselves Pentecostals, where you know the antithesis of God working in a person's life is going to see a doctor. <laughs> or, God forbid, you actually take medication for your issue. You know, that, that's a real lack of faith. And where do we see this in the Bible? And the answer is nowhere. Uh, this week I had a conversation with uh, a side subject, but I was at the, the, the food bank volunteering. I had a conversation with a lady who knows I'm a pastor, and uh, she was talking about baptizing her children, uh, her infant children in a Greek Orthodox context. And she told me that it costs her 400 bucks per child to baptize her kids. I said, wow, 400 bucks per child. I said, I'll do it for free. I just need some water. And I said, I said tell me something. What, like, where, what church is this? She said, well, it's Greek Orthodox. I said, oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. And, and I said, let me, tell you, let me ask you, like, do people come to the church? Like, do people, because she goes, oh, yeah, they come, they come. Because I thought maybe, you know, they're just trying to pay the bills by charging exorbitant rates for baptisms of infants, you know. Oh, no, 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 people come. I said, well, let me ask you, what happens if you don't baptize these kids? Like, what's going to happen? She said, oh, no, it's not proper. I said, well, how is it not proper? She said, well, if I don't baptize the kids and they could, you know, if they die, they could float around, you know, not in heaven or hell or whatever. I said, oh, okay, in purgatory. That's, she said, yeah, something like that. I mean, she didn't even know. And I said, can I tell you, that is so not in the Bible. And she, she just looked at me and she's stunned. And I said, it's not in the Bible. I said, I understand the tradition and I understand all of that, but you're paying for tradition. Uh, it's not in the Bible. And again, it's, it's just an example. But some of the things that we believe about the miraculous and some of these bizarre paradigms we have, they're not in the Scripture. Uh, what do we see? The entire book of Acts, from cover to cover, is written by a physician. It's written by a doctor. 
And this is Dr. Luke, we could call him. We know he's a doctor because of what Paul tells us about him in the book of Colossians. He is a physician by trade, by vocation. And when we see how he writes, he seems to know about detail. And he writes in a very, very detailed fashion. And he's the one who's recording these healings and these miracles and these supernatural things that have happened. So if God is opposed to doctors, why in the world did he have one write one of his books? Why did he use a physician? I'll tell you why. Because the physician corroborates and can see and can record the detail for us. That's why. And this idea that, well, if you think God will do or has done something in your life, heaven forbid you go see a doctor to verify it. No, that's the first person you should go to. If God has done something or you believe God is going to do something, you need to go and you need to run that through that physician. If you feel like there's a healing that's taken place in your body, go and have the doctor check. Because when the doctor starts saying, you know what, I can't explain it, you were this way before, and now you're this way now. I have no explanation, but you're, you're, you're healthy. Or this part of your life is healthy now. Well, then you've got proof positive that something's going on. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Like God is not opposed to these things. And oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, God will use those people for the benefit of your good without touching you supernaturally. He may not touch you supernaturally. We'll get to that in a moment. And He may just use the, those natural means. Well, why are you opposed to that? If it makes you better, why are you opposed to it? Again, we've got Dr. Luke who writes the book of Acts and who writes the book of Luke. They are subject to natural methods of verification. Can I tell you how much it irritates me when people say, God has done this and God has done that in my life and I'm healed. And I say to them, have you, have you seen a doctor? I've had people say, well, God has healed me of cancer. I said, great. Have you seen a doctor? Oh, no. Two years later, the cancer's back. You Go and see that physician. You are not doing something opposed to your faith by doing that. You're only getting an observation from someone who knows the human body and knows the situation perhaps a little better than you do. Number four, miracles tend to happen more in conditions of distress and persecution. Ah, so when Peter and John are released from jail, the, the authorities of Sanhedrin says, just let them go. Everybody is talking about this thing. They're all praising God. What are we going to do with them? Just release them from prison. There is a prayer meeting that takes place that Peter and John are in. There's a very interesting prayer that is prayed there. Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. Uh, Peter and John tell the story of what happened, and when the group around them hears this, they raise their voices together in prayer to God. Listen to the prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His Christ or against His anointed one. They quote the psalm while they're praying. And then they interpret it and they say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. So conspiracy against the Christ. This is the situation that we're living in. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, verse 29, consider their threats. You have a situation there of persecution, distress. Consider their threats and do what? Enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders, the miraculous, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Consider their threats. So they're saying, God, we are in a situation where we're being persecuted here, where there are threats against us. 
We, these people, we've been arrested already for healing a man, for doing a public healing. We're facing persecution. So consider the threats that are being made here and God give us boldness and stretch out your hand in power through the miraculous that we would accomplish things with great boldness and power through your servant uh, and through the name of Jesus. You, and, and this sets the backdrop for the entire book of Acts. You've got persecution all over the place. The new church is under fire. The leaders are running for their lives sometimes. You see the Apostle Paul, he's going to run from place to place to place because there is persecution against him. His life is threatened at times. It is not a friendly um, uh, circumstance. There's opposition. And we tend to see the miraculous more in the 21st century in situations of distress and persecution and opposition. You go to other places in the world, not North America. Go to places in China. Go to places in the Middle East uh, where if there is a Christianity of a brand that believes the Bible where a person can actually pick up a Bible and read it and interpret it themselves... Uh, the, the, a lot of those churches are meeting secretly. Like they're not in public places like we are because there's persecution that those people face and sometimes jail sentences and sometimes death itself. Well, the reports that we hear of the miraculous in places like that are higher than what we hear in 21st century North America. Why? Because the desperation level is much higher there. So those of us who ask here, especially in North America, where are the miracles? We might well turn the question back on ourselves and say, where's the desperation? Um, the question we might well ask ourselves is, do we even need them? Do we even need them? I mean, we have many, many options in the natural. And, and again, I'm not saying that that's bad, but it doesn't do much for desperation. <laughs> I mean, when you always have a plan B and you do not have to depend on God, well, why should you? And that, that can be a, you know, that can be a bit of a frightful place where, you know, we, we're not sure that we really need God to work in ways that are supernatural anymore. We have it all. And yet in other places in the world where they don't have it, they tend to see it a little bit more often. Number five, miracles do not happen every day. That's a saying that we use in the culture. Miracles happen every day. Uh, they do not happen every day. Um, even in the book of Acts, they did not happen every day. Uh, you have a book there that spans about 35 years in time. And you can measure that time through the different historical pieces in the book of Acts. I won't bore you with it today, but it's about 35 years of time that you see in the book of Acts. And there are gaps in the narrative where you see no reports of the supernatural. Uh, no reports of something happening, something miraculous. And one would think that if it did, Dr. Luke would record it. Well, you do see gaps of time where those things do not happen. And what you don't see is the people asking the question, well, where did the miracles go? Uh, God, where did you go? Have you left us? You don't see that at all. And at times you actually see in these gaps where God allows persecution to happen without miraculously delivering people and sometimes the persecution is a direct result of the fact that there was the miraculous before and yet God does not deliver the very person who performed the miracles before God does not deliver them uh, for example we see this in the life of Stephen um, in Acts chapter 6 Stephen is one of the, the this, this group of um, uh, a small group of, of people who were chosen to solve a, a favoritism problem, an alleged favoritism problem that was happening in the early church. So you had a group of widows who were Hebrew, who were getting food, and a group of widows that were Greek that were not getting as much food. And so there was a complaint. 
They said, ah, it looks like a little bit of favoritism here. You're giving these widows more food. This is a new community. All these people had come in uh, from all over the place for the Feast of Pentecost. Many of them stayed because they experienced salvation. And you've got this new community forming, and they're trying to help each other out. People are selling, selling their homes even and giving the money to the apostles so that they can fund it, for lack of a better word. Uh, you see uh, a strange thing take place where you have a death of a couple who lied about their money, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. They say, here, here, here's all the money. They say, well, is this all the money? Yeah, it's all the money. And the both of them end up dropping dead, for lack of better words. Um, and you see this, you know, you've got a problem in Acts chapter 6 where, hey, how come the Hebrew widows are being favored over the Greeks? Big problem. So they say, well, let's, let's form a team of people who can look after this. Stephen is one of the people who is picked. And Stephen has a reputation. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. This is a man who, who was used by God to perform the miraculous. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And it gets Stephen in a, in a lot of trouble, a lot of hot water. And Stephen, um, in Acts chapter 7, will die at the hands and the authority of young Saul of Tarsus, with no deliverance whatsoever. And God will not deliver Stephen. God will not miraculously uh, uh, deliver him. In fact, Jesus is waiting for him to die. And he claims to see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, he, and he, he, as soon as he says that, uh, the people are enraged. And they execute Stephen brutally without deliverance. And yet he was a man who performed certainly more than one miracle. Amazing. And we see those kinds of gaps in the book of Acts. Uh, if you read through the book, you'll go through sometimes three, four chapters at a time where there's no report, no instance of the supernatural. Miracles do not happen every day. I have seen what I would call, in, in the sense of true bona fide miracles, uh, in terms of healings, I've seen three in 27 years. With my own eyes, I've seen three of them. Three. Uh, and I've seen two or three issues of the demonic and people delivered of demonic influence. Two or three. One is a little suspicious, uh, but at least two solid. And that's, that's five things of what I would call bona fide supernatural things in 27 years. You say, well, pastor, you don't have much faith. Well, maybe not. But miracles do not happen every day. They did not happen every day in the Bible. Why? Because miracles, number six, are glimpses of the future in the present world. And this we have big problems with. Uh, we can pray for miracles, and we should. As long as we have a chance to pray that God will do something miraculous in whatever situation, we should do that. We should never lose heart. We should never always say, well, you know, I'll depend on the plan B and I don't even need God anymore. We should never do that. We should always bring the matter to God. We should always pray for His intervention. But the miraculous will not happen in every instance all the time. It will not. And regardless of whether, what, whatever theology we try to invent to try and demonstrate this, I guarantee you your theology is going to lead you down the wrong path. This notion that God wants everybody healed and well, healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time every day is a false notion. And the reason is because we live in the present. We live, as one Pentecostal scholar has said, we live in the already and the not yet. And we live in that tension. And that's why we see the supernatural sometimes, but not all the time. Certainly not all the time. Uh, this notion that we should see it all the time now is a false notion. And I have talked to so many people who have been hurt and uh, who have been um, misled and uh, who have to relearn uh, who God is because they've been in that type of setting. 
So if God wants you healed all the time, if God wants to do the miraculous in your life all the time, um, then what happens when it doesn't happen? Well, that means the problem is either you or God. And usually it's you, at least you're told. So you have a problem in your life, you don't have enough faith, you've got some curse on you from 45 generations ago, you know, you need to go and do this and go and do that, and then maybe you'll get healed. And, uh, or maybe the problem is God. But rarely is God blamed, it's usually us who's blamed. Or maybe the problem is the devil. Right? Oh, the devil, he's got his thing in it, and that's why there's no healing, that's why there's no miracle. Can I tell you that most of the time that notion is false? To be sure, sometimes, when people pray for things, and they want God to intervene in a supernatural way, nothing happens. Sometimes, the person, you know, they're living a life that's like totally opposed to God. And they're expecting God to do something supernatural in their life. Maybe He will by His grace and by His mercy, but maybe He won't because He wants you to fix your life first, which is more of a priority for Him than just healing you for the present time. Uh, but much of the time, we say, well, there, there just wasn't a miraculous thing that happened, and the answer is we don't know why. And we can invent all kinds of theology, and we can write all kinds of books trying to decipher the sovereign will of God, but in the end, it's the sovereign will of God that trumps everything. It's Him who is sovereign, it is Him who, He who is, is in control, and sometimes those things are not going to happen in the present in whatever situation. The answer is we don't really know why. Can we test this idea with the Scripture? Yes, in fact, we can. One of the most forgotten and miss I mean, it's skipped over. I'm not sure why people skip over this verse all the time. Uh, there is a miracle worker in the Old Testament whose miracles rival that of the Lord Jesus himself who got sick, who suffered, and who died. His name was Elisha. And it says very matter-of-factly about Elisha out of the blue in 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. No explanation given. No deliverance given. No healing given. All we know is he got sick, he suffered, and he died. What would the teachers of these theologies say today? Uh, Elisha, you didn't have enough faith. Huh? Elisha? A man who raised the dead didn't have enough faith. You know how much faith he had? The man made an axe head float in the water. It's one of the most bizarre miracles in the Bible. The head of an axe. Any of you ever use an axe before? Okay, axe heads don't float in water. This man made an axe head float. This man raised the dead, and yet God didn't deliver him? Well, maybe he had some problem with the curse of the XYZ generation, uh, Elisha. Ma very matter-of-factly, this is what we're told. New Testament examples, Paul, and we've talked about this when we did our series on Philippians. Paul had a friend in Philippi named Epaphroditus, Philippians chapter 2. And he tells us that uh, Epaphroditus uh, got sick and he almost died. He was ill. He almost died, but in his case, God had mercy on him. This is what Paul says. Presumably, he was healed. So in that particular case, well, he was sick for a while, but God touched him, God healed him, and Paul says, uh, perhaps to save him, sorrow upon sorrow. Uh, Paul writes to uh, Timothy about another friend of his, a fellow named Trophimus, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, and Paul says about his friend, I left him sick in a place called Miletus. Excuse me? The Apostle Paul, who also raised the dead, left this guy sick? Why? Why didn't he heal him? Why didn't God heal him? Why is this told to us? Because it's real life. Because sometimes those things just don't happen. And we, we have to realize what they are. They're glimpses of the future in the present uh, world. Paul writes to Timothy, a very troubling verse for some. He says to Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. <laughs> I'll let you decipher whether it's grape juice or alcohol, okay? Use a little wine. Why? 
because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So what do we know about Timothy? Guy's got a weak stomach and he gets sick a lot. He's a pastor. He's got a weak stomach and he gets sick a lot. And what does Paul say? Pray that he be healed. Nope. He says use a little wine. Why? We don't know. Because that's the nature of life. That's the nature of the mystery of the sovereign will of God in this time. Even Paul himself talks about this thorn in his flesh, right? Uh, who he calls a messenger of Satan um, given to him to keep him from becoming conceited because of all of the supernatural stuff he did see. He says that there was a messenger of Satan given to him, presumably by God, uh, to keep him from becoming conceited. And he asks God to take the thing away. And he asks God three times to take the thing away. And you know what God says? No. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Suffer. Suffer with the thorn. You say, that, 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 that doesn't make any sense. I know. Say, well, how come God doesn't do it all the time now? I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is when we see the miraculous, when we experience the miraculous, it is a glimpse of the future in the present time. What do I mean by this? In the book of Acts in particular, the understanding of the supernatural was eschatological. It had a connection with the end of time. It had a connection with the future. So um, what do we see? Acts chapter 2. We talked about this. When the people are there on the day of Pentecost and they're speaking in these languages that they never learned before and that the other people know, what does Peter do? He gets up and he explains it to them. And he says, let me explain to you what's going on. Remember what Joel said, the Old Testament prophet. In the last days... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The period of time called the last days is now. This is why you're seeing this. This is why you're hearing these languages because the power of God, the supernatural power of God is on display for you. It is evidence that the end is coming. So the miraculous is linked to the future. And when we see it happen, we're getting a taste of what is yet to come. What are we told in the book of Revelation? There is a new order of things that will come. Where there will be no more death. Where there will be no more sorrow or pain or suffering. The old order has passed away, the writer says, and the new has come. So when we see those things happen now, we're getting a foretaste of what will come eventually. One day, those of you who work in the hospital industry, you're going to be out of a job. There won't be any more need for hospitals. Uh, one day, those of you who have gray hair, it's not going to be gray anymore. Those of you who it's falling out, it's not going to fall out anymore. Okay? There's a change that will come in the end of time. And miracles are linked to this. They have an eschatological bent to them. And if you don't get that, you're going to be frustrated when you don't see miracles all the time. We live in the already and the not yet, in that tension. And God in His sovereignty, at times He will do it, and at times He won't do it. You say, well, I don't know if I'm convinced. I want to share with you, as we, as we uh, move to a close here, the most remarkable audio clip I have ever heard uh, and that you will ever hear most likely in your life. The man who you are about to hear speak is a pastor by the name of Dwayne Miller. Uh, I remember when I heard this clip about two decades ago and I was absolutely stunned uh, to hear what you will hear in a moment. Uh, this, this incident that you're going to hear is a real-life miracle caught on audio tape uh, by coincidence. 
Uh, what you're about to hear took place in January 17th, or on January the 17th in the year 1993. Okay, so it's a little while ago. Uh, this was in, of all places, a Baptist church in Houston, Texas. Many Baptists do not believe that the miraculous happens today. They believe that that's kind of faded uh, with the time of the apostles. Many of them, not all of them, but believe this. And this guy was in a church in, in Houston, Texas, uh, and he was the teacher uh, that morning in a Sunday school class, and he was to read from Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. You'll hear it in a few uh, moments. And uh, the man um, uh, talks about his experience that led to this moment. Uh, he says, I stood to teach the class of 150 or more on that morning. I have never been more emotionally drained than I was that morning. I never had less faith than I did that morning. Uh, the pit that is mentioned in the text of Scripture that he will describe, he says, was swallowing him. Uh, the back story, three years prior, he was a senior pastor at another Baptist church uh, in Texas. There are many, many churches in Texas, okay? And he had been for some time as great church. And in January, three years prior to what you're about to hear on this tape, he contracted a flu virus that ultimately penetrated what's called the myelin sheath in his vocal cords and damaged the nerve tissue beyond repair. Over the next three years, I was seen, he says, in his own words, by over 63 specialists and their teams, totaling uh, over 200 doctors, as they tried to diagnose and treat me. I had been left with a voice that sounded like the worst case of laryngitis that you ever heard and could only, uh, uh, could only make it if I screamed at the top of my lungs. Uh, my daughters, he says, were both students at Baylor University and I could not even call their dorm because I sounded like an obscene phone caller. That's how bad his voice became. The congregation that he was the pastor of was extremely patient, but he ended up resigning a year later. Everything he had done to earn a living for his family was connected to his ability to speak, and it was gone. He could not preach anymore. He was a singer. He could not sing. Moved back to Houston with his wife, uh, who had become the primary breadwinner of the family. She worked in radiology, if I remember the story correctly. Then a friend of his gave him a job, get this, as a private investigator. <laughs> Pastor loses his voice, becomes private investigator, working in an area where my voice was unimportant, but I ached to do the ministry to which I had been called. And then this other church had a Sunday school class who met in the basement of their church, and they called it the Catacombs Class, okay, a kind of a funny title there. Wonderful group of folks that he had uh, been privileged to teach before. He was the pastor at the other church, and they never lost contact. And uh, when they arrived in the city, they started to attend the church, and they were part of that Sunday school and lo and behold, there was one of the Sunday school teachers who was not present that day, and this man with his, with his terrible voice was asked if he could fill in uh, for the day and uh, teach the message. Standard curriculum, he was given the curriculum, and uh, he was asked if he would teach it, and he said, no, I can't. And they said, listen, we'll listen really, really hard to what you have to say. Um, and he talks about this pit experience when he took the platform that morning. He says, two days previous, I had sat for hours in my living room with a shotgun in my mouth, and I had come to the end of myself. Blessing the Lord was difficult for me. In truth, the only reason I was there was because I could not find a substitute and I could not simply not show up. So my teaching that morning was perfunctory, nothing more. As I began the outline, I discussed the word all. You'll hear that in a minute. It literally means every single one without exception. Christ's forgiveness of all my sin is what makes the good news great. I had no problem with that discussion. But when I began to talk about healing, my words were, I still believe God heals, while my thoughts were, but why not me? I moved through that discussion as honestly as I could and began my third thought, he redeems my life from the pit. 
I began my discourse, I have had and, and you have had in times pit experiences. And he related to that word pit. And I want you to hear this clip. This is a documented healing and I want you to hear what happens in it and listen to the reaction of the crowd. It's the most remarkable audio clip I've ever heard. Go ahead. So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended. That is not over. Now you have to be careful on how you do this. Because there are folks who carry things to an excess, and it becomes a show. And God has never intended that that be what it is. God heals in his sovereign will. I don't know why. God does things that He does, but I know that He does. And the only thing He requires of me is to allow Him to be God and me to be me and let it be. To say that every single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of Scripture. Not true. Won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry. That's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of Scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again, is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So, the psalmist says, I'm excited, bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is, he heals all of my diseases. And in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. I don't understand this right now. I'm but overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. Love for those who fear him. 
far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I think it's finished, yes? So what did you think? Remarkable piece of footage. Now, you may have some theological things with how he interpreted Isaiah 53. That's, that's not the point. Uh, the point is God still heals today. And sometimes he does so in the most remarkable and the most extraordinary of ways. And sometimes you just come to the end of yourself. A man who literally had a shotgun in his mouth two days prior, who had lost his faith to a point where he just needed to get through the morning. And God showed up and totally, totally surprised him. His name is Dwayne Miller. After that incident, he traveled crisscrossed the United States telling the story, wrote a book, was on Oprah. You know, you can still follow that whole story. Uh, his name is Dwayne Miller, D-U-A-N-E. Um, but it's an encouragement to us all that God is still on the business uh, it's still in the business of performing the miraculous today. The question, I believe, is one of desperation. One of desperation. If the band would, would come and uh, they're just going to play that song one more time, Your Grace is Enough was really good. If you could, if you could finish with that. Uh, let me tell you, I believe we live in a time now, uh, as we close, where it could very well be that God is creating, in a sense, or perhaps allowing, I don't know what the right word is, circumstances that will drive us to more desperation. Um, you literally have now the possibility of anywhere you go, you know, you don't know, you're out in the public square, you're, you're traveling, you're in the metro, you're in a public event, and literally the climate now is one of uncertainty and fear that something could happen. There could be an attack. We all could lose our lives at any moment. Could it be that God would use circumstances like that to drive us to a point where we become desperate for Him? Where we say, God, we need the power of God to show up even in all this comfort that we think we have here in the Western world. I'm not sure, but I believe that God wants to get our attention uh, today with what we've heard. Would you stand with me? And I'm just going to pray and turn it over to the band. Let them sing as we close uh, today. Father, we thank you for your word that challenges us. We thank you for the, the document of the book of Acts, which records these things for us and the things we can learn about the miraculous. I pray, God, you would inspire people with faith and with hope in a God who does more than the natural today, in a God who can perform the miraculous, who in His sovereign will, in His mysterious power, will show us glimpses of the future even today. Lord, do things in people's lives that, that no doctor can do. Do things, God, that that will restore uh, that sense of passion and, and awareness of your presence with us. We trust in you, O oh God, who, who is sovereign and king and who rules over us all today. Increase our faith, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.